Welcome back, friends, to episode number 60 of the Banish to the Pen podcast, a group baseball blog produced by fans of the Effectively Wild podcast. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, editor-in-chief of NatsGM.com and the Baron of All Baseball podcasts. This week, I'm proud to be joined by two members of the Banish to the Pen family and also two friends from Sabre Seminar. Uh, that were both in attendance this weekend, like myself. And the big topic today is Sabre Seminars. So I want to welcome Rob Maines and Nick Koss, both back to the show. Uh, Rob and Nick, welcome back, guys. Great to be here. Great to be back, Ryan. And it was uh, wonderful getting to meet you, Nick, this weekend for the first time, actually in person. We've talked a few times on the podcast, but it was great getting to uh, shake your hand and put a face to the name. And uh, Rob, it was wonderful... uh, chatting with you and goodness getting reacquainted i guess for the second year now yeah you know it was last year's saber seminar where uh, uh we met and uh you uh introduced me to uh banished to the pen i started writing here so this it's sort of it was great seeing you again and just another one of our graduates that has started at banished to the pen and uh moved on to i'll say a bigger platform anyway so uh once again congratulations to you on that rob Thanks. Which uh, probably is uh, me putting a little bit of the cart before the horse, but uh, we should probably start the way we start every week and uh, introduce ourselves to the audience. I think people got me a little bit now, but uh, maybe, uh, Nick, uh, how about you start first and just uh, remind everybody who you are, where you write, uh, Twitter handle, you know, anything you want to share. Well, I mean, Ryan, I wish you could have given me as great an introduction (laughs) as you just gave to Rob, but... (laughs) Um, yeah, so I'm so I'm Nikos. I'm approaching my last semester at Northeastern University, studying marketing and finance. Um, this past weekend was my first Saber seminar, so it was great to meet a lot of great baseball fans and people like you, Rob, and you, Ryan, that I've had the pleasure of working with at Banners to the Pen. That is where I do my writing stuff. So I'm there. I check on my Twitter at Austin. A lot of Olympics coverage there as well, not just baseball. These, you know, the Olympics coming up. So, nonstop shopping for all your Usain Bolt hot takes. <laughs> very, very cool. Uh, Rob, kind of the same question. Uh, introduce yourself to the audience who, uh, for those who may not have uh, been familiar with you. Yeah, I'm Rob Maines. Uh, you can find me at Twitter at Cran, C R A N underscore boy. And I write for both Baseball Prospectus and Banished to the Pen um, fairly regularly, at least once a week at both locations, at least uh, during the season. And uh, it's great, you know, to be back on this podcast with you, Ryan. Yeah, and I will tell you that he is as coy with why uh, he goes by Cranboy in person as he is online. He will not share the reason. So uh, it is a mystery. Yeah, and it was by the way, it was great at the conference as as I deftly uh, switched the topic uh, to meet to meet Nick. Um, Nick's put up some great work at the site, um, and uh, you know, be able to put uh, the face to the electronic name is always a lot of fun. Yeah, that that's a great point. It was great in meeting you, Nick, as well. As I said, I think off air, uh, I was very thankful that you came up and introduced yourself because I'm so shy. I I probably wouldn't have done it myself, so I appreciated it. Uh, it was great meeting you finally. Yeah, I mean, it was great to meet you guys, too, and I know, Ryan, we didn't get to talk that much, but 
Rob, I know we had a nice discussion at the Fangraphs meetup the night before the seminar started. So great to meet both of you guys, especially because, you know, as great as I think my work has been, you guys knock it out of the park every time you um, put something up online. So really great to meet you guys. Actually, I'd love to. Uh, you mentioned the meetup on Friday night. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend. But uh, how was it? Let's. That's actually maybe the perfect place to start. Um, it was great. It was at a. Um, it was at a, um, place in Cambridge. It was pretty. It was a pretty nice. It was a pretty nice place. Certainly somewhere I haven't been before. But um, they gave us the the part of the second floor. Um, it was pretty packed. Like. The area they had roped off for us it was pretty just dense with baseball fans um and i got you know i got to meet a lot of you know great people going to the seminar really saw how far some people traveled for it so but it was um it was a pretty good way to start the weekend i think yeah i i echo that um i don't know some people who are listening to this might have been to the meetup in the past and what we did this year is it was at the same uh bar mead hall where it's always been uh in cambridge near mit but what they did this time instead of having us in the back of the second floor we were kind of in the front of the second floor so there's a little more room the back of the second floor sort of amusingly was some uh wedding party and so Every now and then, there'd be someone coming up the stairs, dressed really nicely, looking at a bunch of you know baseball nerds and wondering if they'd gone to the wrong place, and they were quickly directed to the right area. But what made this a fun meetup for folks who might be thinking of going to this in the future is, in addition to getting you know a lot of the attendees there, as Nick said, there were a lot of of writers and presenters there. Alan Nathan, the physicist, was there. I talked to um, Harry Pavlidis from Baseball Prospectus, Rob Arthur from 538, Dave Cameron from Fangraphs, um, Paul Spore was from Fangraphs was there. So it was a really great time to rub elbows, not with, not just with a lot of, um, you know, similarly minded people, but all, <clears throat> excuse me, also a lot of the folks that those of us who follow this topic read a lot. So I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I went two years ago and uh, I couldn't recommend it enough. I had a blast. And I, I got to say, I thought Meat Hall was a great spot for it as well. They had a nice, you know, bar menu, good food, and all that good stuff in between. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. They had a nice, you know, nice wide ranging beer list. So definitely um, something there for everyone. I'm guessing that's not your normal, normal watering hole there, Nick, being a college no, student. No, I actually, <laughs> I don't get, I live on the other side of the river from Cambridge. So. Um, going over there was a, it, it was a nice little change in venue, I guess. Well, uh, Nick, let me start with you because uh, as the Saber Seminar newbie, so to speak, uh, I just uh, let me start with the generic question that you got to start with, but uh, just kind of your big picture thoughts, favorite presentation, and uh, you know just your general uh, you know your take. So as Ryan said, this was my first Saber Seminar, and I I loved it. I can't highly recommend it enough. I'm I'm already super excited to be able to, get, to hopefully get back next year lots of great i mean every presenter was really um really showed some pretty good research um i guess my favorite presentation and maybe this is just because i'm a red sox fan but i really loved um dave dave dombrowski's little um talk and then q a because he was really you know he had some really great tidbits um he had the mariano rivera tidbit which uh, 
uh, a lot of people have written about, but for those who haven't heard of it, that when he was with the Marlins in the expansion draft, had the Rockies not taken Osmus from the Yankees, that with the next pick, the Marlins would have taken Rivera from the Yankees. And because the Rockies picked Osmus, the Marlins couldn't have picked someone from the Yankees. So Mariano stayed with New York. Um, but just, just little tidbits like that really, I think, made his presentation just not only engaging, but just overall, you learned a lot. And I think getting to kind of hear someone who's been in the game since, I mean, for decades, getting to hear, getting to just kind of hear his thoughts on, you know, what he's done recently and also kind of reflect back on his career was just, I mean, it was just phenomenal. That that presentation right there might have been worth the entire, um, might have been worth the entire admission fee by itself. Yeah, Rob, uh your thoughts too, building off that? Yeah, the thing that makes this seminar really good, I think, is that, um, for one thing, uh, it moves really quickly. Uh, there are, I think there was one presentation that was allotted more than half an hour. Uh, they get a lot of really big names. And even though it's, you know, it's, uh, how many people did they have this year, Ryan? Do you recall? I would get, I was trying to figure that out on the ride home. I would guess somewhere between 200 and 250, maybe. Yeah, I was thinking somewhere around 200. I mean, people there are pretty candid, so you really get some some good information um, on a wide variety of topics, and there's virtually no fluff. You know, there's no, even Dombrowski, because we have all seen GMs on, you know, MLB Network or on, you know, the local television broadcast or whatever get asked questions and spend a lot of words not answering them, and I thought we got, we got real solid... Um, answers from them i i actually i agree with nick my favorite moment of the conference was that story that dombrowski told told about how the marlins almost wound up with uh mariano rivera but um beyond that i thought there was some really interesting um story or um research being done on catching there's some great research being done on um trying to figure out uh, how do you stat cast data, analyze hitters? Um, a lot of just, you know, kind of honest comments we got. The um, assistant uh, GM of the uh, Diamondbacks, a guy named Brian Manitti, was asked in the, the aftermath of their kind of disastrous trade for Shelby Miller whether that makes him a little bit gun-shy doing future deals. And his answer was, I wrote this, I said, you can't help but think about it. And I thought that was pretty candid. My favorite presentation at this conference, though, every year is uh, Chris Geary, who is the chief of sports medicine at Tufts. And the reason why I like it is that his presentation is really fast-moving. He's right after lunch. I think the second year he's been right after lunch when, you know, you can get a little tired. He really moves, keeps it moving. He inserts a lot of jokes. And he talks about current topics in sports medicine which i think is really interesting was he the one that did the uh the weighted ball no he work? was okay he, he was the one who was talking about um he, he talked about two types of surgery uh shoulder labrum like oh, what yes, Sandoval yes, yes. had and knee meniscus like what Ke- craig kimbrell had yeah. and that's interesting to me because i have family members who've had both those surgeries in the last couple of years but more to the point he said that knee meniscus a well-trained athlete can come back from that within weeks, as Kimbrel did. 
uh, labrum repair of the shoulder, it's a much longer road and it's a much less successful road. A lot of guys who come back never achieve the level of success that they did uh, previously. Now, any Red Sox fan will know that Sandoval was already well on the way towards not achieving the level of success he had previously. But, uh, you know, the the outlook after the surgery, I think, maybe is even a little dimmer. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I, I would, uh, building off that, the the weighted ball exhibition by the former um, athletic trainer for the Red Sox, who's now working privately, I mean, I thought that was fascinating and kind of giving us an idea of, well, we can increase velocity and we can increase, you know, some of the uh, some of these specific areas, but at what cost? And just we don't know what the cost is. And, and unfortunately, it feels like the cost is – quite bad i mean just in his small sample it seemed like about 30 percent of the players had gotten injured already after right. you know what seemed like a very conservative as he described it and it certainly sounded like it to me a, a course of action so just i'm you know one of my big things is how are we going to make pitchers healthier going forward while also you know maximizing their performance and that really was one of those things that made me i don't know it, depressed is way too strong of a word but certainly uh, not optimistic about where we're headed yeah, and I think kind of the point that he brought up too was the um, the kids in his study weren't like major league quality kids. Like they weren't considered future prospects. So it's just, it's kind of seeing that these kids want to achieve the best they can and they're turning to these ways to gain more velocity. And then, you know, they're messing up their shoulders and stuff. And, you know, they're not even really in contention to kind of get that million dollar plus prize that you know that's the dream so it's yeah so but i but yeah i was glad there was a nice kind of presentation about that because that's a huge topic in baseball and it was nice to kind of see it included to see some medical research included with all the you know stat cast research etc so and I thought it was a nice contrast to the previous day's presentation by, I believe it's Kyle Bodie or Body, and, and I'm the worst at names, so I apologize to him in advance, from uh, Driveline out in Seattle that got so much publicity after the uh, the arm from Jeff Passan. And right. him him saying that, you know, well, we can do great things in increasing velocity and taking a non-prospect and making them a prospect. And that's certainly absolutely true. And for that gentleman, you've completely changed his future. But how many of those similar players are we destroying their arm in the process of trying to make them and and is that a is that price worth paying i don't know i mean maybe it is well and it's just kind of funny to me that because as um not to change the subject but john baker and brian bannister when they did their kind of q a on how on developing young prospects they focused more on the mental side which is how much work you have to do there to get a guy up to the majors it seems, you know, it seems like we would, uh, I don't know why I'm saying we, I'm not really in baseball, but baseball would be better served to not physically break down the athletes because mentally, you know, mentally it's so, it's already so challenging that adding a, adding a certain, you know, adding the fact that a certain amount of guys just won't, arms just won't make it, it seems. Uh, it's there's a lot of attrition in the minor leagues and you know we should take care of the aspects that can be taken care of while hoping that the john bakers and the brian banisters out there kind of can help the athletes just mentally 
Well, either that or, or we just have to develop, you know, kind of a, a mental callus to it and just, okay, guys are going to break and it's okay. And, and and I hate to say it that way, but we have to go one way or the other. But trying to care but not really like the way it seems like most of us are doing now is just not the right way. I'd like to throw in if we can now. I mean, I can't believe we've gotten this far into a podcast uh, and we haven't mentioned the Godfathers, Ben and Sam doing a live uh, Effectively Wild. I mean, goodness we watched, you know, the Godfathers in action. I mean, just uh, first and foremost, I'll start, Rob, uh, you know, your general take on uh, the Effectively Wild show uh, kind of right in front of our eyes. It was fun. What I found really amusing about it is that that's the first time that they've ever done a podcast where they could see each other, that even when they were together in Sonoma, they would sometimes be in the same house but in different rooms. (laughs) So I, I mean, just the novelty of that, I thought, was was pretty amusing. But, you know, you, the, the other thing, I, I probably am speaking for a lot of people who are listening to this podcast as well. It was interesting hearing them at 1.0 speed instead of 1.5 speed. <laughs> you know, well done. A, a lot well of, done, a lot of yes. Are, yeah, him, like Dave Cameron, I'm used to hearing faster, too, but... Um, you know, it's kind of interesting seeing the interaction like when it, this was effectively an email show and they both had their laptops there so they both were, were reading uh, various emails it was I thought it was fun watching Sam do the um, pull up what he'd obviously worked on for his play index uh, segment and you know, they don't normally get uh, live guests. They had John Baker, the former catcher, now um, working in the Cubs organization there. And then former pitcher Dave, I think he's not necessarily former pitcher, Dave Ardsma came on, and I wasn't sure if that was even planned or not. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think they just kind of spotted him in the audience a few minutes before yeah. the thing went on the air, and they were like, hey, will you come on kind of thing. I mean, I, like you say, I didn't. it certainly wasn't very well planned out if it was. Right. But it was, but it was interesting. I, I love hearing thoughtful players' perspectives on these questions. Nick, your thoughts? Um, I'm. I, I agree with Rob. It was excellent to see him um, make the, you know, make the podcast live. Especially again, it was their first time together, and I was just surprised that the chemistry you hear on air really did translate over to the, you know, seeing them tape it live. They were. You know, I mean, they've done 900 episodes, 900 plus episodes. So I, I guess at this point, you would hope to that they would be able to carry that that chemistry wouldn't have to kind of be edited. I guess is the word to say. But uh, John Baker was a great guest. Artsmove was a great guest. It was. This is one of those cases where it was okay to see how the sausage, the sausage is made. That's funny. I had a blast just seeing uh, just their setup. And I also thought it was, uh, and Rob alluded to it a second ago, it's very different when you interview somebody across the table from each other. I mean, goodness, Rob, you and I did an interview across the table on Saturday, and now we're doing this, you know, on Skype. It's very different. It's it's not that it's, you know, good or bad, but it, it is definitely a different vibe when you do it. I thought that was funny that of all the time they spent in Sonoma, they never just, on a, a Uber ride back from something, or, you know, they're in the car and they just never recorded an episode. I thought that was funny that... It just had never happened. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and like it was weird thinking that if they went to that that much 
trouble to not record in the same room. Just how much convincing it must have took him to yeah. finally <laughs> great point. do it in the same room. That's a great point. I also, uh, on that point, you see Sam, and, and I've met Ben a few times. This was the first time I ever got to meet Sam, and I'm always amazed at how that just very deep kind of powerful voice comes from a man. He, he's not small by any stretch, but it, I wouldn't expect that voice to come out of that man, I guess is the way I'm trying to say it. It's, it's very amusing to me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was my first time seeing both of them in person, and obviously I wasn't imagining, like, former baseball players type size but especially with baker and the david arjuma sitting in between them because that's how they had it set up they were on you know they were on one they were each on one end and then the guest was in the middle they only had the two microphones and seeing and seeing them and seeing that just how small they look compared to the um, you know compared to their compared to both their guests are or were made it must have. It must have been. It must have been a sight. That they were in, in the dugout mingling with a bunch of baseball players, not one. Yeah, I mean, Ardsma really sticks. I mean, I think he probably stuck out of the entire conference of just how big he was. I mean, he's a big dude. Right. I'm. I. I'm. I'm looking it up right now because you're. You're right. I'm. I'm. I'm not. I'm about. 5'8", so everybody always looks big to me. But yeah, it says baseball reference list him is 6'3", 215. He sure looked bigger than that to me. I was going to say, I'm about 6 feet, and I won't give my weight, but he, I wouldn't have messed with him. Good Lord, that was a big boy. Yeah, yeah. And built, too. I mean, he was just... Yeah. I, I wasn't expecting him. You see him on TV, and I didn't think he would be that big. But I guess we forget that these guys are the freaks of the freaks of the freaks when they get to the major leagues. Also, I just... I think in general, baseball jerseys just can kind of maybe obscure just how strong these guys are, just because versus maybe some of the other uniforms worn in other sports, they are, I mean, pretty loose fit. But I mean, Brian Bannister, when he was presenting, I mean, he was, I mean, he was jacked. It, yeah. it was, I mean, I would, not that you should ever think. Cross any sort of professional athlete, but definitely don't mess. Yeah, right. I mean, Bannister was known as a short, you know, a smaller pitcher, and you see him now. You walk by him, and you're like, "He, that's not a small guy." So, um, I, I do think uh, I'd like to bring up, if we could, um, Ryan uh, Westmoreland speech on uh, Saturday morning. Um, I don't want to go necessarily too much into how it, that it was sad, and I certainly know that it got a little dusty around uh, my eyes, certainly hearing him, but I thought it was a great reminder and a great start to the conference of kind of, yeah, we're there to learn and we're there to make great friendships and sure, but the really cool thing about this weekend is that, you know, 100% of the proceeds go to charity, and, you know, we we saw somebody that I guess maybe has been directly affected or helped in some way by you know some of the work that's been done so i just uh i don't know where else to go but uh nick or rob either guy just want to chime in i just i i thought that was the highlight of the conference in some ways for me uh just his you know quick speech yeah i'll just just give a couple of cents then i i want to hand it over to nick but the conference for years all the proceeds have gone to the jimmy fund um and which is part of the dana Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston. This year, 
it also went to the Angioma Alliance. And to be completely honest with you, and I'm a healthcare researcher, I didn't know what Angioma was until Ryan Westmoreland's speech, um, which was pretty moving. And I, you know, once he started, I was thinking to myself, and I'm not, I'm not a Boston native or any of their resident, but I remember reading about him, about oh, this, absolutely. you know, top draft choice who got sick, came back and then got sick again. And, you know, his, the, his, his recovery and it was pretty, it was pretty amazing. Do you, um, Nick, do you remember hearing about him? No, he was, uh, I, I kind of. I kind of looked up some information about his playing career once I got home um, after Saturday, but he was a little before I really started um, kind of following not only the Red Sox, but the minor league system. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Rob, he was, you, he was in my wheelhouse was, was yeah. Westmoreland. I mean, he was a fifth round pick. I, I seem to remember they gave him a huge bonus. He was a high school player out of Rhode Island, three sport athlete at the time and was, I think he was like Mr. Rhode Island in terms of sports. I mean, he was the absolute dude of the dude up there and ah. immediately rose up the top prospect rankings. He was in the top 100, you know, the next summer after he signed. And, I mean, he was going to be the next, I don't know how to compare him, but probably what Jackie Bradley has become, actually. I mean, he was supposed to be like the athletic center fielder. Uh, I think he was a left-handed bat. I mean, this was a really outrageously talented athlete who had just kind of scratched the surface because he had played three sports and he was in the northeast so i mean they were dreaming on you know wow if this guy actually is playing baseball full-time and lets all this natural athleticism come together this could be a five tool you know i use jackie bradley but that's kind of a a pretty good comp frankly i mean and then realistically almost as quickly as his star rose it, it it you know fell and and i hate to say it that way and you know, I don't like talking about people negatively, but it, it, I guess it's not talking about them negatively. It's just speaking about it. But it was just, it was incredibly sad. And then it, it seemed like you said, uh, I, I believe, Rob, you know, he he tried to come back almost. And people got a little excited that, oh, maybe, you know, he's beaten this and maybe he's going to be able to come back. And then it seemed like almost as soon as the optimism came, it, it kind of flamed out again. Yeah. Yeah. And especially how Red Sox fans love when a native New England son plays for the Red Sox. So right. it was so so just to hear that if he had made it to Fenway, I mean, he would have been a fan favorite. He would have probably not had to pay for too much to be interested. Hearing 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 too in his voice just how he knew what was in front of him. Just how something wasn't there I mean, we were talking earlier about kind of how strong these guys are. Well, he has a different kind of strength. It is more, even more impressive than the strength that, you know, we were talking about just a little bit ago. Once again, I would still say that he looks like, you know, what a strong-looking guy he was, too. What an impressive-looking athlete he is as well. Goodness. Uh, maybe that I, I don't I, I don't know how to transition off such a tough topic, but I, I would like to maybe transition and talk a little more lighthearted about some of the better th- better subjects, anyways, of the conference. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit was uh, the topic of it being the ball uh, of being juiced. Definitely came up a couple times this weekend. Um, any thoughts, guys? Because I kind of feel like we didn't really get kind of a conclusive answer one way or the other. Yeah, we sure didn't. Um... 
we had uh, two uh, professors emeritus of physics <laughs> speak. Um, Dave Kagan from which which UC is he from? Um, uh, I'm blanking on it myself right now, and I feel yeah, I don't mean uh, to disrespect him. Cal about State U Cal State University of Chico, and. Alan Nathan, who a lot of folks know from his uh, Physics of Baseball website, he's from University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And Dr. Nathan, who's, who's really good and has been you know, a hardball times uh, writer, I, he, I'm not questioning anything that, that he would say. However, he showed some data that would suggest that exit velocities off the bat are faster now and not, it's not a gradual thing. It kind of a switch got clicked right after the All-Star break last year. Um, and I should say, they're faster now on balls that wind up becoming home runs. So on, you know, the ones where you got the right exit velocity and the right launch angle, um, balls getting hit harder. And since it happened kind of all at once, it's not like we had an influx of new players after All-Star break. That would sort of suggest that, yeah, something happened with the ball. But then at the end of his presentation... He said, on the other hand, exit velocities for line drives are unchanged, so it probably isn't the ball. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't find that uh, dismissal to be completely compelling because the day before, the other professor emeritus, uh, David Kagan, had said that one of the things going on with um, the home runs is that there's about a 9% uppercut on batter swings, and you could easily see a situation where guys are seeing the ball leave the park more they start up you know they 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 move their their bat the plane of their bat up just a little and that could reduce velocity that could increase velocity on fly balls while not increasing velocity um on line drive so i didn't find that to necessarily um you know refute the idea that the ball is juice and then my, my quick story i'd add uh, Rob Arthur at 538, who, along with Ben Lindbergh, wrote two really good articles, one at the end of last year, if I remember right, and one uh, in the middle of this year about, you know, suggesting that something's going on with the ball. I had lunch with him, and I said, you know, doesn't Occam's razor kind of suggest that the ball, something's going on with the ball rather than anything else? And he kind of nodded and said, yeah. Well, and I, I want to even start with a bigger number than that. I mean, I think the number is home runs are up 24% in a year. And really, like you said, it, it, it was a light switch that turned on, you know, mid-July of last year. I mean, this hasn't been gradual at all. I, it Something has to be causing this. And I have a hard time believing in a certain way that all Major League Baseball players have somehow gradually increased their upper or uppercut their swing. I mean, certainly some could, and I could understand that. But that would be a heck of a kind of a paradigm shift all of a sudden with, with guys doing it all of a sudden. And then, you know, that... I mean, nine nine degrees is a pretty big swing differential, I would say, as well. I mean, that's a large swing change. Right, but that but if there is a difference, even if it's a small one, I think that would explain um, Nathan's finding that line drive velocities aren't any different. True, I agree with that. Uh, yeah, I think. Um, sorry, Ryan. Didn't no, no, I was trying to. I was actually trying to turn it over to you, so it worked perfectly. <laughs> um, but I think since both presentations had some really good um, da um, really good data behind it and you know 
I think maybe it could be, you know, a combination thereof. Like, it would be possible for the ball to be, a, like, a little bit different, and it wouldn't necessarily show up in anything, um, in anything that Alan Nathan did. But also, you know, the uppercut of the swing does logically make sense. And also remember that StatCast was new last year, so it's not inconceivable to me that um, teams could have taken the all-star break, kind of, you know, run through the, you know, this new data set you had and maybe kind of started suggesting some tweaks. And I don't know if those two things in combination get get you to the full 24%, to the full 24%, but it's, I don't know, I think it, Occam's razor does make sense to me, but I always tend to believe that when there's multiple explanations out there for something, it makes sense that it's a combination thereof. Yeah, and as I said off air, and I'm just going to throw it out there so that in five years I sound really smart, I'm saying it's something with the bat. I have absolutely no science background, and I am not smart enough to explain why, but if it's not the ball that I'm going with, it's the bat. Something's changed with the bat, and the la- or the wood that they're making it with, or the processing that they're making them with, and I'm going to stop there because that's way above my pay grade now, but I'm throwing it out there. Also, are we discounting the fact that Major, that Major League Baseball has found a way to take both the stadiums and put them at the same elevation as the Rockies? Hmm. I mean, hmm. I mean, the bat, I mean, I didn't mean to try to dismiss the bat theory altogether, but I think I think the bat certainly could have something to play with it. Uh, I mean, have something to do with it. And who knows, maybe next year, at, maybe a next year Sabre seminar, Alan Nathan will come to the bat. I'm taking credit if he comes if he does a presentation next year on the wood and the bats. I'm taking credit for it. I'm just saying. I had this theory earlier in the season that it's El Nino because I mean we're all in the Northeast. It's been really hot this summer for the Northeast, and I know it's been hot. I got family in the Midwest, been hot there too. But then I read something Dr. Nathan had written, and warmer weather does promote home runs it doesn't promote home runs as much as we're seeing so it's a nice idea but that's not it yeah cheap plug but uh dr nathan was on my podcast uh the nats gm show a little while ago and said the exact same thing he said wind is a much bigger uh help uh help or hindrance to home run distance than uh the heat and humidity the heat and humidity can help a little bit you know the air is a little thinner when it's humid Uh, but it's not like you say it's it that's not the explanation is what he was saying and I'm guessing that it has been no, that has been it hasn't been unusually windy this summer. But I will say uh, to Nick's point, maybe that's another another part of this puzzle that we're trying to put together. Right. Maybe that's another factor that we're you know maybe that's two percent of the twenty four we're trying to get to or what have you. I mean maybe that's a small part of it. So, and Nick, you're you're a finance major, isn't there? It's been a while since I took the class, but isn't there a mosaic theory in finance or something? Yes. Yeah. Now that you mentioned yeah. it, something. Kind of stirring in the back of my head, you know. Yeah. It was so, covered a couple semesters ago that. Sorry to bring it up, man. That I probably sh- should know, but that make. But yeah, and it's just I think, if anything, it's a good reminder that even though baseball has a finite set of outcomes, finite, there are rules that dictate which outcomes can happen. It's still insane. Complicated. Really, you know, all the research that was. Senate that saves one tiny piece 
just like, trying to understand it's 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 gonna take a lot more to fully understand what's going on. A lot of great people trying to attack it. Right. Yeah. Very very good point. Um, I also like to bring up Tom Tippett and uh, his presentation, if I could, uh, particularly. Uh, no, no, not necessarily. We don't need to talk about 2011 again. <laughs> nope, that didn't happen. Uh, that's a great point. As, as Nick was saying, uh, his presentation for the most part was covering uh, the 2011 season. I think that was the fried chicken and beer season. If I, if my memory is is holding up. Um, yep. And yeah. uh, just describing how that, that season went. Beer. I mean, it was. <laughs> I mean, typically he's, I, he's one of my favorite presentations just because of his honesty and his candor. You don't normally hear somebody on the inside who is just uh, will go through and explain, here's where we thought our wind projection was going to be. Here's the trend where we were at. I mean, I, I just, his being so thorough is, is really impressive to me of uh, behind his honest answers. Yeah. And it like, I like, he mentioned that they were looking Last week of the scene, they were looking at Bruce Chen to pitch a potential one-game playoff against Tampa, and I know it had come out in the past that Chris Capiano was also someone they looked at. I just I could not imagine what a one-game playoff Bruce Chen pitching would have looked like, and it was and it was as he pointed out that the friend, the, everyone in the front office was like, if we make the playoffs, we don't know who's going to pitch, and. You know, they just you know, they just had no answers, and then when they came in to work the day after, I remember um, Tippett talked about how the desk girl it was kind of an, an office floor plan, and it was just dead silent. Everyone was just staring blankly at their computer screen or just staring blankly at the wall. Just no one knew what to say or what to do or anything. It was. It, it was definitely, I think, a great job by him looking at a season that is, I is, I think it's going to be one of the, one of those kind of old time. Do you remember when type? Yeah, and I thought uh, one of his, and he started talking a little bit about the following off season, and I, I found it particularly interesting when he got into Carl Crawford and talking a little bit about Carl Crawford versus uh, Jason Worth and that signing, and. Um, you know, that they thought that kind of they preferred the right-handed bat to Crawford. I thought that was fascinating a little bit, that kind of honesty. Uh, and particularly the thing that caught my ear was that uh, Worth's contract right before the winter meetings really reset the market. And his seven for, I think, 126 contract really changed what they thought they were going to be able to get Crawford for. They thought they might be able to get him for five years and under $100 million. And I know Rob and I were talking about this, you know, Saturday night. Just how different that changed their offseason when you had to add two more years and $40 million and kind of what that chain effect does to the rest of your offseason. I thought, you know, to, to Nick's point that um, when he when Tippa was reviewing the 2011 season, he was describing a Red Sox team that, number one, started the season just crushing the ball at a level that probably wasn't sustainable, and number two had some real questions about the starting rotation, you know, to the point, as Nick said, they didn't know who they'd be starting if they had a one-game playoff. Um, And you can sure draw, and he sort of did, you can sure draw some uncomfortable parallels to the current year if you're a Red Sox fan. Yeah, that was, that was, 
I mean, sitting there and hearing that, I'm just thinking, oh boy, like. But I guess it's good this time around because at least I'm braced for it, or at least you know <laughs> that comparison has been proved statistically. But it, but yeah, he did a great job, I think, really kind of walking you through all of the big front office decisions they made in 2011, and just kind of seeing that graph of Carl Crawford's war per year, especially when you contrast it to Adrian Gonzalez's war per year graph. And just realizing that when you sink twenty million a year or seven years into a guy who just hits the wall right after signing the deal, that I mean it it hamstrings you. Lost him work, so it was it was really interesting to just hear him reflect back on it, and as well as hear him say, you know, I wasn't really comfortable with it, but I was convinced to go with it to just." You know, to the other where he was like, "Yeah, we probably," but yeah, that was probably a movie you'd like to have back. It was very, very refreshing candor. Someone who um, was there, kind of. I don't want to say was the architect of, but helped the architect, kind of architect. Yeah, definitely, and almost literally imploded on himself. And to your point, a little building off that, Nick, just when they showed the war chart for Carl Crawford, everybody in the audience is like, well, yeah, I'd sign him for four, five, six years. Heck, yeah, that's going to be a really good player. And then it just went, I mean, like you say, it was inexplicably off a cliff. It wasn't something that you could see happen at all. I think everybody in the audience would have said, yeah, I would have signed that ball player. Sure, he's he's a great player. So... Um, well, guys, maybe uh, this is a good part for, uh, I don't want to conclude necessarily, but maybe just uh, kind of a final thought of a uh, favorite thing about Saver Seminar, favorite uh, thing that we haven't talked about, or uh, you know something along those lines. Um, maybe maybe I'll start with Rob this time, just to change it up, I guess. Yeah, just one light note I thought was every year they have a journalist panel where there are sports journalists, uh, specifically beat writers, talking about their teams. And this year we had three... Red Sox beat writers, but also Nick Picoro, who has appeared on uh, Effectively Wild, covers the Diamondbacks. And I can't remember exactly what the question came up about, um, you know, the media environment in the East, you know, in places like Boston versus elsewhere. And the three of us, we all live in the East Coast. I've lived here my entire adult life. But I traveled a lot for business all over the country. And I'll remain in the Northeast. I like the Northeast. But I think those of us who are honest have got to admit that we're kind of miserable human beings in this part of the country. <laughs> and he, and Pecora told, told a story that he's kind of amazed that in other cities that aren't in the Northeast, beat writers come into the clubhouse, you know, before or after the game, they ask their questions, and then they leave. You know, their job's done. They go write their stories. He says, in the Northeast, the reporters never leave. They always hang out in the clubhouse. And, you know, it's like they're and it's not like they have questions. They're just observing stuff, like waiting for something to happen. And sort of on cue, Peter Abraham, who's a writer for uh, The Globe, I believe, he told a story that when he was covering the Yankees, they were doing exactly what Nick Pecoro said. They were. It was after a game. You know, they were. They were. Um, they'd ask the questions that they had to ask, and there is. Nothing else going on, but all the reporters were still <laughs> hanging out in the clubhouse except one guy who apparently had left. 
And, you know, they're just sitting there doing nothing, and all of a sudden a fight breaks out between two of the players. And it being New York, obviously this is a big story. The reporter who had left wrote for one of the New York City tabloids and had missed the story because he wasn't there. And he said he never saw the guy in the clubhouse again. He's basically fired from that position because he didn't hang out in the clubhouse long enough to see a fight long after the players had left. And to me, it was a funny story, but also sort of encapsulates what we're like here in the Northeast. So those of you listening to this who are from other parts of the country, just watch your, watch your back when you come out here. <laughs> I did. I really enjoyed that panel. I thought that was, uh, the, there were a lot of great, uh, too many good stories to come out of there, but that was one of the better ones. Uh, Nick, kind of same idea. Um, so I think I might have briefly mentioned this before, but John Baker and Brian Bannister did a, um, Q&A, um, John Baker, who works with the Cubs, and then Bannister works with the Red Sox front office, as well as the pitchers, and just kind of hearing their perspective on how they're taking their experience and trying to use it to help out the um, the players for, their, for the teams they're working for, it was, um, first of all, they both, I think, were just very lively presenters. But uh, the fact that, especially John Baker, really seemed to focus in on the mental aspect of it. And I, uh, off the top of my head, I can't mention all the, I can't think of all the different ways he said they kind of help prepare the players. But the one that struck me was that they're constantly telling the players, live in the three seconds of the play. Live in the three seconds. Just live in those three seconds and kind of push all of it out. It was... It was really interesting kind of getting to hear former players speak about the different ways they cope with the um, with the day-to-day grind of baseball. So um, I certainly hope that, you know, I certainly hope to hear them speak again. But it was, but yeah, but it was a, just another great presentation of the weekend. And it's also, I think, to kind of, <clears throat> I also think that a lot of our kind of, the stories we're telling aren't necessarily like the PowerPoint presentations, but they're more pa- the panels, I guess, or the Q and A's, which I think Saber Seminar does a great job of kind of mixing both of them in. So you get, so you, you kind of see the new research that's being put out there, but as well, you get to hear people from inside the game, just really talk candidly. So. Well said, yeah. well said, bravo. Yeah, very well said, Nick. I couldn't have I couldn't have said it better. That was that was really well said. Um, it, yeah, so I guess maybe just to, I guess maybe Ryan to throw it back to you a little bit. Just, I mean, what did you think of Baker and Brent and Bannister's presentation, and then what was your favorite? Um, what one? really impressed me with those two guys was, uh, and, and you were touching on it a little bit, was just uh, the Cubs were really, and Baker was focusing on, you know. When you're in the clubhouse, it's work. But once you go outside the clubhouse or, you know, you're at home, shut that off. You know, you need to be a human being. You need to have a conversation about, you know, a book or Game of Thrones, I think was his example or whatever it was. I mean, just you need to be a regular person and then kind of get into player mode when you walk through those doors. And he said that it helps if players can do that because then you can be a little more critical of them and you're not criticizing I think he was using his, himself as an example. Like, you're not criticizing John Baker, the man. You're criticizing John Baker, the player. And 
I think he was making the point that it, it makes it a little easier to give instruction and also to take instruction when it's not so personal to the player. And it's it, you're trying to – I don't remember the way he was trying to say it, but you kind of – you know, it's almost like a representative of yourself, the baseball self versus, you know, the actual person. So I, I thought that was really, really interesting. And, and just Bannister impresses me every time I hear him speak of just how intelligent and cerebral he is. And uh, wow, I, I really wish he worked for the Nationals front office. That's, that's really what I think about every time I see him. Um, in terms of uh, the final question you asked me, um, a little selfishly, I, I guess I've got to throw it out there that I think my highlight was probably winning the auction. Uh, on the uh, Sunday afternoon, the last last day, but even more specifically, it was uh, Dan Brooks's face when I won, and just the look of "Oh, not that guy!" And you can put in some four four letter words if you also want to uh, further describe it. But uh, I've known Dan a long time. Uh, you know, dare I say we've become friends over this time, and uh, I, I was on Effectively Wild a long time ago, and that was part of the uh, raffle prize, and. Uh, I know he didn't want to have me go back on again. It was, you know, something that somebody else should get to enjoy. So it was just uh, that face. I just wish I, I could have had somebody take a picture of that just look of exasperation, frustration, and humor at the same time of, of course, it's going to be Ryan. Of course, it's going to be. It was just, that was the, for me, that was the highlight. And I dare I say, I'll remember that for a very, very long time, his face. So uh, that that certainly made my Saber Seminar 6 for sure. Did you um? Did they give you a signed copy of the book? Because that was also up in the raffle. Did you get a signed copy of Ben and Sam's book? They were generous enough to uh, sign a book for me. Yes, as well. And and Sam wrote one of the more uh, interesting uh, comments in in uh, you know when you do the little signature, you know, you put in a little word. And, and I'm going to botch it, but it was something along the lines of uh, player positions are fluid. Stand where the ball's going to go. And it was just like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Actually, yeah, that yeah. yeah stand where it's going to go it doesn't matter if you're supposed to stand here yeah you should go where the ball's going to go yeah one of those you know it would have made sense if a first grader had said it but somehow it's really insightful when an adult says it to you so but uh yeah that was definitely the highlight for me and also hearing uh you know we touched on uh mr westmoreland's speech and also hearing at the end that uh i think they raised twenty five thousand plus dollars for uh to be split between the two charities i think that was obviously a highlight as well um I lost my mom to cancer a couple of years ago, so uh, you know maybe this will you know save somebody else's mom or save somebody else down the road this research and you know some of the you know if we want to try to say we're doing some good this weekend as well maybe that's uh you know maybe that'll do some good for somebody down the road so well said yeah I... so maybe on that note guys uh, it's time to uh, get out of here uh, maybe we'll wrap it up kind of the, the same way we started it and. Uh, Guys, just share your Twitter, uh, where they can find your work, anything you want to share. Um, start alphabetically with, uh, I guess, Nick. Yep, so um, at CostaBoss34 on Twitter, I write for Banish to the Pen. I recently have been putting up some more stuff than I have in the past, so I think I have... Uh, I should I should know what I wrote. Of course I should, but <laughs> I wrote something on um, four Homer games. Um, I kind of took a look at maybe how teams could be a little bit more active at the trade deadline and how specifically they could do it. And then I wrote a, and then I wrote something on where I kind of took a look at all the trades the Red Sox made or get. So if any of those interest you, I would encourage you to check that out. Um, also, a bench. 
I know for something that definitely check that out. Um, and yeah, otherwise it was as always, gentlemen. It was a pleasure to get to talk with you. Yeah, it was great getting to talk to you uh, today, Nick, and uh, a very nice meeting you absolutely this weekend as well. That was, uh, you know, definitely one of the highlights is putting face to uh, many of the names uh, that we speak to as well. Um, Rob, kind of the same question. Uh, lead us out. Yeah, um, you can find my work at Banished to the Pen. Uh, this week I have my weekly Trailing 30 report as well as a review of the Sabre Seminar that we just talked about, and that review includes a link to Ryan's excellent review at the Nats GM site. I also write for Baseball Prospectus. Uh, I have a piece up this week on the historical significance of August 17th, and you can find me on Twitter at Cran underscore boy. Very, very good. Uh, great piece you wrote for Banish to the Pen about the Sabre Seminar. I, I really enjoyed your recap, uh, Rob, and uh, as I said to uh, both of you guys off air and I think on as well, a huge fan of your guys' work. I get really excited when I see that you guys are publishing either at Banish to the Pen or uh, BP for yourself, Rob. So uh, very big fan of your guys' work, and uh, it was wonderful getting to see you guys this weekend up at Sabre Seminar. I look forward to hopefully seeing you guys again next summer up there and uh, talking to you guys many more times uh, in between. Sounds like fun and a plan. Very cool. Thank you, guys, and uh, I hope to see you guys uh, sometime soon. Same here. Thanks for having me. And that was episode 60 of the Banish to the Pen podcast with my guest Rob Maines and Nick Koss covering everything that was Sabre Seminar 2016. Um, I want to thank those guys first and foremost for coming on. Um, I want to thank everybody involved with Sabre Seminar. Uh, Dr. Dan Brooks and uh, Chuck Korb are the two founders, I believe, of the event, and uh, they deserve a lot of recognition. They work very, very hard to put together a conference that's incredible with a great list of speakers and presenters, and also the fact that they can raise so much money for charity in a weekend. I, th- I think that uh, that's just truly amazing, and um, the fact that those two people are you know, given back and of their time and, and everything else, I, I, I want to give them just you know props, I guess is the word, or respect or whatever, or just a real congratulations for doing some good and really just being two outstanding guys on top of it. Um, if I could give a couple of plugs, I will. Uh, Effectively Wild uh, did a podcast from Sabre Seminar. I think that went up Monday, uh, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, Rob wrote a terrific summary column of Sabre Seminar. Uh, I, I wrote a column at my site, natsgm.com, covering Sabre Seminar as well. Uh, humbly think they were two very good pieces. If you want to read some recaps, uh, I did a couple of live interviews from Sabre Seminar as well, one with Rob, who you just heard from as well, along with uh, Kate Morrison from Baseball Prospectus and uh, Dave Cameron from Fangraphs. If you want to check those out as well, uh, that would be really cool as well. Uh, final thing, uh, just I want to thank everybody involved with Banish to the Pen. Um, we have a lot of really talented people that are working really hard every day. Uh, you just heard from two of them, quite frankly, Nick and uh, Rob. Two very talented writers that uh, produce some great work, along with, you know, technical support staff, editors, writers, and everybody behind the scenes. So, uh, making a really great product each and every day. So, uh, thank you to you guys for working so hard, and uh, thank you to uh, the big boss man for uh, taking care of everything and making this podcast sound good as well. So, with that, this episode is a wrap with a small reminder be nice to your fellow listeners. <laughs>